All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Job 5 and 6. You know, Job is considered possibly one of the oldest books of the Bible. It comes from this literature called wisdom literature, poetic literature, which really it falls in the category of, you know, you have Job, Psalms, Proverbs. What else do we have, guys? Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. So a lot of unique insight on practical things of how do we get through life with these kind of situations. Honestly, I think Job is one of the most practical books that we have. I mean, think about this. I'm pretty sure in the last year, somebody here has suffered. (laughs) Somebody here has had to deal with somebody not liking you, and they say something harsh against you. And the question is, is do you depend upon the Lord amidst all of the suffering, amidst all of the pain? And I know it's kind of been a theme this week, but I'm okay with this. Why, Why does this suffering take place? Well, some would say it's because of sin. Some would say it's because of chastening, which is the the disciplining. Some would say it's for strengthening so that you could actually depend upon the Lord even more so in other times. And some would say it's an opportunity, right, for opportunity for God to show us his grace and comfort. Some would say, I don't really know why we have to deal with this suffering. I don't really know why we have to go through this pain. And so in this process, Job had a wife that said, man, you should just quit and die and curse God. (laughs) Satan, who's obviously trying to destroy him. And then you have three friends. Here you have Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Zophar? Zophar. Uh, You have three friends that came and sat with him for seven days quietly. And after just sitting there quietly in Job 4, Job just says, blah, this is how I'm feeling. I don't really like life right now. And so then what we covered yesterday was Eliphaz's uh, response. Now, we had only covered, you guys, Job um, 4 yesterday. But it also gets into Job 5. So Job 4 and 5, two chapters worth of basically Eliphaz saying, Man, just want to let you know, God punishes the wicked and he blesses the righteous, which just means, Job, you probably did something wicked. I mean, that's what he implied. Remember, we talked about the bad theology, you guys, of Eliphaz, about how God is so just, he's so fair, that if you did this, it's only because, uh, if he punished you this way, it's because you deserved it. And if you did something right, it's because, well, God blessed that. And so this is the process. So where we're going to go today is in Job 6. You're going to see, and really it goes into Job 6 and 7. We're not going to get to that. We're just going to get to Job 6. But Job 6 and 7 are Job, not necessarily his response to Eliphaz. Because basically what you're going to start seeing is, and I, I think this is interesting, Nelson's commentary says it's not so much a conversation, just so you know. It's more of, and I like this, a speech contest. <laughs> because his response isn't necessarily to Eliphaz. 
it's more of a general statement. And it's just kind of really, who's going to win the debate and actually impress the audience? I know that's not the implications, but boy, that's sure what it sounds like. So in this process, uh, I just want to make sure everybody understands, uh, he's going to begin to give... um, Eliphaz and those that are quote unquote listening in the verse seven verses. Here's what he's going to, he's what he's going to do. And constable says he's going to give us reasons for complaining. So Job really begins to unpack in verse seven verses. Hey guys, this is why I'm doing this. So it says, then Job answered in verse two, if only my grief could be weighed. And my devastation placed with it on the scales. With it in the... Wow, that's a different version here. When I think of scales, automatically I think of Southwest. Always. I always do. I think of 50 pounds and then you're like, please Lord, (laughs) 48.5. Please Lord, right? You know, and then you just, yeah, you got to shift some things around. And I'm just going to tell you, I think Southwest is a whole lot like God sometimes. They're very gracious. They're like, oh, it's 52 pounds. It's Sometimes you go to these other airlines, they're like, get it off the scale, you know, and they're like, take one shoe out and put it in your backpack. And like, you know, like it's a weight and you're just like, ah. And so Job is coming to the scales just saying, here's all of my my junk. And in fact, he's saying my calamities, they're as heavy as, look at this, wet sand. In verse three, for then it would outweigh the sand of the seas. My, my baggage what I carry, my burdens, oh, it would outweigh the sand of the seas. Now, at this point, could you just say drastic? <laughs> could you just say a little bit of a drama, right? I mean, don't you think? I think he's probably pretty dramatic. <laughs> I don't know, guys. I mean, let's keep it in perspective. He lost his family. Right. I mean, so he's been sitting there with boils. Uh, his friends aren't giving him the comforting words. So, I mean, drastic? I don't know. I mean, I think he's just like, you don't understand because you're not in my position. I think you're right on, Rich, 100%. Kevin, can you go to Proverbs 27.3? I think you're 100% right. You have to keep it all into context. And from his perspective, man, I've lost everything, you guys. And this is, I think, to me, you know, here you're tying in these this wisdom book mentality. Think about this. So Proverbs 27.3 says, A stone is heavy and sand, a burden. But aggregation, aggravation from a fool outweighs them both. <laughs> Eliphaz is a fool. What he's saying to Job is way heavier of a burden than the fact that I've lost my family in all this persecution. How dare you, you idiot, say this to me. But honestly, you guys, this is where we've got. So I'm giving you reasons for complaining, and I just want to make sure you understand this context. Can you go to Job 5 verse 2, Kevin, for me? I'm going to backtrack just a second here. <laughs> even Elin, even Eliphaz says this. Eliphaz says, this, for anger kills a fool and jealousy slays the, gull- the gullible. Anger kills a fool. So wrath will kill a foolish man. And so, I, yes, you're right. Eliphaz, you should take and listen to your own stinking advice. I just think it's interesting. There is a heaviness, and I like what Wearsby says. This this reasons for complaining. Just want to kind of put it in here. There is a heaviness of suffering. 
You know, I, I want to I go New Covenant here for a second because our word, you guys, and I think sometimes I haven't done this well this week, our, our word for this is promised redeemer. So amidst all of this, what you, want, what you do see is Job constantly clinging. And I think this is a cool image of what Mindy has here. Like the, these little hands, like the father truly has us in the palm of his hands. And in the New Testament, that's that same model. Kevin, can you go to Matthew 11, verse 28? Matthew eleven twenty-eight. amidst all that's coming our way. Jesus says, you come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Like, I want you to come to me. And honestly, I think what happens for me personally is, is that when you, when you start carrying it on yourself, it's like you're trusting more of who you are than rather more who God is. And he says, you come to me if you're weary, you're burdened, and I promise you I will give you rest. And then look what he says in verse 29. All of you take up my yoke. Learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart. This is the opposite, you guys, of Eliphaz. Eliphaz is bringing the wrath. Eliphaz is bringing the anger. He's bringing uh, all the accusations. Jesus says, no, man, I am gentle. I'm humble in heart. And you will find rest for yourselves with me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think if you can hold on to the promised Redeemer, if you can hold on to the Messiah Jesus who says, I will get you through all of this, he'll get you through the heaviness of suffering. Why? Because he went through this himself. And in verse 4, look what the scripture says. This is kind of an interesting transition here. Surely the arrows of the Almighty have pierced me. My spirit drinks their poison. God's terrors are arrayed against me. This image of the arrows, um, it's kind of a, a weird perspective. You know, arrows can be symbolic of judgment. They can be. Um, you know, Job, Job just assumed that God was required to reward obedient and punish the guilty. And so like this, this is almost, he's almost starting to take the perspective of his friends. Wouldn't you say for a second here, Rich? I think because he's in such an emotional state, what he's hearing, he's starting to maybe believe. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the arrows are coming at me. Maybe there is something I've done. I think it's a recognition, though, that it's from God, it's God's in control. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I would agree. I don't question that. And so, in verse five, there becomes what Wearsby says: heaviness of suffering actually can turn to bitterness of suffering. Does a wild donkey bray over fresh grass, or an ox low over its fodder? It's bland food eaten without salt. Is there flavor in an egg white? <laughs> so I need it scrambled with ketchup. Verse 7, I refuse to touch them. They are like contaminated food. In other words, uh, man, this is the part right here, though, you guys. In verse 7, he still turns the corner. Now think about it. there's this bitterness and he says, hey, look, I, I would agree. Is there is there bland food eaten without salt? Is there flavor in egg white? But then look what he says in verse seven. I refuse to touch them. They are like contaminated food. I refuse, as Nelson's even says, to give into Eliphaz's tasteless counsel. So at the last minute, it's almost like he begins to turn the corner. Does that make sense? It's like he feels the weight of the suffering. He actually says, I'm a little bitter towards it. But at the very end, he says, yeah, but I'm not going there. 
I refuse to touch this counsel of what he, of what he's saying. I don't know, guys, is this uh, I, I want to slow down on this. I kept praying for the book of Job that the Lord would have me slow down in on this teaching. I want to just make sure that this is clear because this is a guy that's emotional. He's venting. He's obviously reacting to a friend that he thought was a friend and he's kind of connecting with them. But then he says, man, but I'm not going to be a part of that. Rich, anything else you want to add to that? Uh, you know, in the New Testament, it talks about taking every evil thought captive. This it could he could be this could just could be an Old Testament picture of it. Like, nope, I'm not buying into that. I, I'm going to hang on to what I know and trust of God. Yep, that's good. But you see that it's almost like the emotional wave of connecting but not connecting. I'm with you, but now nah, I'm not buying into this. So, yeah, I think that's a great. He's taking it captive. So now I just wrote here on the board Job's uh, desperate conditions in verses 8 through 13. So here you have reasons for complaining what he's experiencing, right? And what I like about... Um, uh, what Wearsby adds to this is here you have the heaviness of suffering, the bitterness of suffering, and then this, this, how desperate it is. It, it almost feels hopelessness. There's a hopelessness of, um, of the situation. We'll get to that and how do we fight through the, the desperate situations. But he says in verse 8, If only my request would be granted and God would provide what I hope for. That he would decide, look at this, to crush me, to unleash his power and cut me off. Why would he even be saying this? Kevin, can you go to a picture of this guy? I mean, why would he be okay with being crushed, being unleashed and cut off? Because look what he's going through. At some point, you know, I'm okay. If like, ah, God, could could you just in that, that would bring me comfort. In verse 10, it would still bring me comfort and I'd leap for joy in unrelenting pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. So he's not denying God. He's just talking about the pain. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, I think he's just, he's like, um, even death would be better because uh, then I wouldn't be in the suffering and I would be with the Lord. But he's not questioning the Lord. No, he's not questioning the Lord. Nelson's commentary says, Job was more concerned to, to preserve his relationship to the Holy One than for God to remove his pain and anguish through death. He was more concerned, despite the de- desperate conditions, I need to continue to depend upon the Lord. In verse 11, he says this, What strength do I have that I should continue to hope? What is my future that I should be patient? Verse 12, Is my strength that of stone or my flesh made of, of bronze? Now, here's where it gets interesting. Okay, The language is kind of confusing because right now it seems like he's having this speech. He's communicating this yes to Eliphaz, but he's also just responding. Right here is where you see a shift. Okay, he says in verse 11, right? What strength do I have that I should continue to hope? What is my future that I should be patient? Is my strength that of stone or my flesh made of bones? You begin to see it turns actually to a time of prayer. No longer is he talking to Eliphaz. He's now praying. And he says in verse 13, since I cannot help myself, the hope for success has banished from me. And then he begins just to talk to the Lord. And so there's this interesting switch that takes place. And so you go from reasons for complaining, Job's desperate conditions. And then in verse 13, here's really what happens. He begins to express Job's disappointment. I'm going to talk about this a little bit about Job's friends. Again, Job's disappointment with his friends. 
You're going to see that in verses 14 through 23. Remember, he says, since I cannot help myself, the hope for success has banished from me. He's a discouraged person. And he says in verse 14, a despairing man should receive loyalty from his friends. Even if he abandons the fear of the Almighty, my brothers are, a tre- are as treacherous as a wadi. Now, a wadi, okay, and we're going to get to this, but a wadi is, is what uh, Constable says. It's a stream bed that's full of water in the rainy season. But when the heat of the summer comes, it dries up completely. So at one point, the wadi is full. Another point, it's completely empty. So he describes his brothers as as one point Man, they were overflowing. In fact, as seasonal streams that overflow. And now it says in verse 16, and become darkened because of ice and the snow melts into them. The wadis evaporate in warm weather. They disappear from their channels in hot weather. Caravans. Do you guys see he's comparing his friends to being empty nothings? Caravans turn away from their routes, go up into the desert and perish. These empty ravines, as Nelson's commentary says, left by uh, by the seasonal streams called wadis. I mean, they become full and then they're empty. And then in verse 19, it says the caravans of Tema look for these streams. So people are looking for these streams. The traveling merchants of Sheba hope for them. In other words, I'm really hoping my friends pour into me. But it says they're ashamed because they've been confident of finding water. When they arrive there, they are frustrated. Why are they frustrated? Just when I thought my friends were going to help me, I found nothing with you. So this is what you've now become to me. Verse 21, when you see something dreadful, you are afraid. I was praying through, what do I do with this text for Revive School? He just kept telling me Job's friends are dry and empty. Job's friends are dry and empty. And I kept saying, God, what does that mean? And he just kept saying, there's no water in them. And I'm like, okay, God, I get that. There's no water in them. They're dry and empty. And I love what Leonard Ravenhill, oh, I love Leonard Ravenhill. If you've never read anything of Leonard Ravenhill, please do. Here's what he says. You can have all of your doctrines right, yet still not have the presence of God. That's Eliphaz. That's Bildad. That's Zophar. You can have doctrine all you want. You can be religious and quote this all you want, you guys. But when there is not the presence of God, when there's not the Holy Spirit, when there's not the living water that's flowing inside of you guys, I don't want it. And you know what that means? It means you're dry and it means you have nothing to give. But I want to just tell you, you could be in that state. You actually could be in Eliphaz today. You could be that I go to church every Sunday. You could be I go to Bible study on Wednesdays. But it could mean that the spirit of God is just not flowing through you. And the reality is you have nothing to offer. I can change today. The dryness can actually, can I say this, can get wet. (laughs) Your life that's bone dry could actually be filled. Kevin, would you go to Jeremiah 29, 13 and... Jeremiah 29, 13, you'll see in the Old Testament this language of coming back to him. He says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. If you're bone dry, start seeking him. Scripture says you'll find him. And when you do, (laughs) you will be filled. If you go to Jeremiah 24, 7, Kevin, 
I want to have this mentality of uh, return. It says, I will uh, give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God because they will return to me with all their heart. Somewhere in there, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, as you'll find out, they went the other way. They became more about the law, more about the regulations, more about the rules than actually the Lord himself. He says, you return to me with all your heart, I'll be with you. Zechariah 1.3. Zechariah 1.3. This is going to seem like a little bit longer, but I, I feel like, you guys, this is a way to combat being the friends that are dry. So tell the people, this is what the Lord of hosts says, return to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So, so I'm just going to tell you now, somebody right now that's listening, you know 100% this is you. You know that you're dry. You know that you're going through the motions. He says, would you just put this aside and return to me? Stop making it about the school. Stop making it about the reading. Stop making it about, you know, the daily word. Stop making it about the, the study guide questions. Just return to me so you can experience my presence again. And when you return to him, you have so so much to offer to somebody else. James 4.8, it's pretty clear. James 4.8 just says, if you draw near to the Lord, he promises you, he'll draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And the end of verse eight really is, it's, it's, so, key, it's so key, you guys. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded people. That, like that's Eliphaz, that's, that's, that's uh, Zophar, that's Bildad. Double-minded people that live one way and then act another. Matthew 5, 6 says, Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. Jesus promises if there's this hunger and thirst for more, he says, oh, I'll totally fill you up. Eliphaz does not have the filling. He's dry. He's a wadi that has no water inside of him. And honestly, Job calls him out on this. And in fact, it's gotten to the point where they, they didn't even know that the Lord was not with him. I know that sounds kind of weird, but all throughout the Old Testament, you actually see these things starting to take place. Can you go to Judges 16, 20? Judges 16, 20. Here, here's a, a small example of that this actually takes place. Job, uh, Judges 16, 20. Then look at this in Samson. Then she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. When he awoke from his sleep, he said, I will escape as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. I just feel like Job's just calling out Eliphaz and just saying, man, I don't know what you're talking about, but it's pretty clear what you're saying is not of the Lord. You cannot let your circumstances make you dry. It's not Job who's dry. It's his friends that are dry. It should, you would think, wouldn't it, Kevin? It would be the other way around. You would think that it would be the Job saying, oh, I hate life. Oh, I hate God. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't let the circumstances dictate who he is in God. And basically what he says in verses 14 through 23, you know, I'm kind of actually disappointed in my friends. You know, the more I think about this, people are coming to you for counsel. They're coming to you for comfort and you got nothing. If we're not careful, the church is becoming more of the Eliphaz. We're becoming more of the Bildads and the Zophars. And we're more concerned calling out people's issues than we are being filled with the presence of God.
And Job just says, hey man, I just want to let you know, people are coming and you have nothing to offer. Verse 21, he says, so this is what you've now become to me. When you see something dreadful, you're afraid. And the friends become afraid of Job is what he says. <laughs> Verse 22, have I ever said, give me something or pay a bribe for me from your wealth? Just so you know, all of these questions can be answered. No. <laughs> Four different times. Give me something, pay a bribe. Or verse 23, deliver me from the enemy's power or redeem me from the grasp of the ruthless. Have I ever done? No, 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 no. What kind of friends are you? I can tell you they're friends that aren't walking with the Lord. And can I just tell you, uh, it's really important. I'm going to talk to my kids for a second. That you surround yourself with godly uh, friends. It's hard in public environments. It's hard in neighborhoods. It's hard. It's hard in parks. It's hard in leagues. It, it's hard because sometimes you're going to get empty words that don't help you at all. And that's where I would just say, pray for your kids that the Lord would give them godly people to run with, and that applies for you and for me as well. What's interesting is, is that Job, after he tells him his disappointment, I love, I love this. <laughs> he gets into, you know, uh, Wearsby just says, okay, fine. Job gives an invitation. Job gives an invitation to his friends. Fine. If this is a game you want to play, if you think you're my buddies in verses 24 through 30, he says, all right, verse 24, teach me. You teach me. I'll be silent. Help me understand what I did wrong. Man, how crazy is this humility, you guys? His invitation is to his friends that are really jerks to him right now, just Eliphaz, teach me. And in verse 25, you know what it is? He's calling him out. And in verse 25, he says, how painful honest words can be. But what does your rebuke prove? Do you think that you can disprove my words or that a despairing man's words are mere wind? No doubt you would cast lots for a fatherless child and negotiate a price to sell to your friend. But now please look at me. And there's another word. He says, teach me. But now, by the way, you guys are so repulsed at me. You won't even look at me. Teach me, but look at me. Would I, would I lie to your face? Reconsider in verse 29. Don't be unjust. Reconsider my righteousness is still the issue. This is the issue because of your bad theology. Is there injustice on my tongue? I love this. Or can my palate not taste disaster? Now you're kind of like, what in the world did he just say? Job seems to say this. <laughs> he has this little comparison here. Is there injustice on my tongue? Or can you actually tell the difference between taste? Now here, here's the best way what Constable says, okay? Constable says, Job seems to be claiming the ability to know whether his afflictions were the result of sin or not, as a person can distinguish different tastes in his or her mouth. Does that make sense? How are you to know whether this is a result of, remember our list, sin or strengthening or discipline or an opportunity for God or the unknown? How are you to know just as it is? Hey, was that, um, what was that in my mouth? What was that? Was that onions? Was that, you know, like, I'm, I'm kind of serious here. Like, can you tell the different tastes in your mouth? Like, it's hard at times. You start eating mac and cheese, beans, brats, ketchup, applesauce. 
If you put all that in your mouth, it's kind of hard after a while to be like, what, what was? That's the point. Who are we to say which one is which? I'll tell you my reasons for complaining. And I'm going to tell you it's not good. But I'm also going to tell you I'm pretty disappointed in your friendship. There's no passive aggressiveness here. <laughs> and then he says, okay, here's the deal. Teach me. Look at me and help me. I just don't think you want to. This is Job 5 and 6. It's a pretty real situation. And I got to tell you, I, I actually really enjoy this dialogue. Because I think there's a lot of ways that you and I can learn from Job how to interact with friends. But even more so, if you're the friends that's dry, how do you get back to the Lord so that we can offer and help our friends? Kind of a fun story. And guess what? It's going to sound a lot like the same tomorrow. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks. 